This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 345 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We have Mark Rubens in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. Yeah, so this is pretty much going to be a lot of follow-up today, as we discussed just before we started recording. Um, we, we talked last week about, uh, or last time, we talked about uh, China uh, setting record sales for Apple, which was kind of unusual because I think in the past it's always sort of been Android kicking butt uh, as far as Android Apple's concerned in in Asia and in Europe. And uh, so, surprise, surprise, the next story that comes up here is Apple sets new record for iPhone sales in India. And this is going back to early February. Um, yeah, so they sold 2.3 million phones in the first quarter, fourth quarter of 2021. Um, so that's like a 34% growth year over year. That's quite uh, quite good. Yeah. So there's a story here from, um, oh, iMore. I find it's funny that iMore always has like, um, they always show the uh, Rennie Ritchie <laughs> uh, video from like three years ago on this, this page when I get here. Yeah. Anyway, so it's good. And it may be, I think we talked about this too, like it could also be a fall off from the, the Huawei stuff, right? Perhaps, yeah. I, I was going to say that there's two two things that jump out of this to me. One is that there's still a long way to go if, uh, in India because India is such a huge country, a billion people roughly, and selling a couple of million is is really just kind of scratching the, not even scratching the surface, just kind of rubbing your <laughs> your finger on the surface of 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 that market. So so yeah, that's that's great news. That could get uh, that could get really big. The other the other point i was thinking was that it seems like apple's strategy of building some factories and development sites in india is working uh i think at one time there was there was a lot of resistance to apple products in india for whatever reason uh, and apple making a concerted effort to hire people in india and move some some industry there uh it really is helping helping the situation so good news good news for apple I have a lot of colleagues from India and Pakistan mm-hmm. at, at work, and um, they tell me that the price of the phone is too expensive for most people in, mm. in India. That's mm-hmm. the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Biggest yep. setback. Yep. Um, I do expect that to change, because that's definitely true historically, but given that um, India is the I in the BRIC, the B-R-I-C, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, uh, huge growth potential markets, I think changing demographics in India will help that, right? Like, there's only so cheap that Apple's going to be relative to the market. They're they're a premium brand, right? It's not like they're going to make it the cheapest, but I think people will have more access to stuff as their economy grows. And to Mark's point, there there might be something of the, um, you know, like there's a reason that Toyota, Japanese company, um, amongst many reasons, but certainly one of the reasons of building their products here in the u.s for the u.s market is it makes it a whole lot easier to have people sort of feel like it's part of what you're doing right so there's some national pride thing there's some hey well, i work here maybe i could check this out it doesn't seem like the weird foreign thing is just a natural part of the market there's all sorts of things at play here that uh, 2.3 million units is pretty small for such a large country but having 34 percent year-over-year growth is really good 
you know, you got to start somewhere, keep growing like that, and it'll be uh, quite substantial pretty soon. Yeah, soon it'll be like the most valuable company in the world if you keep that up. <laughs> All right. Uh, this next story, I, again, so the, the lead on this story is, you know, is about the notch uh, on the new Mac, like a MacBook Air, apparently redesigned M2 or whatever they're going to call the next chip redesigned uh for 2022 with 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 apparently with a notch i mean but are we still like are we still that upset about a notch really i mean i know we added they added the notch to the the iphone the new sorry the new um models i believe right but like are really are people really that upset about a notch still these days i mean face id is so amazing right tim i feel like the 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 real world isn't right it's definitely a thing for the mac worlds and other you know news outlets to like really hyper focus on but it's interesting that they they cause us to think about it as like adding a notch versus carving away or removing extraneous case right and, and chiseling yeah, it true, away true. so that we yeah. have more you know screen real estate in every area except where the face id happens to be. well and it's kind of silly because you think about it the they've made the bezel smaller therefore the screen is bigger so you're just you're not they're giving it's kind of like they're giving you more space anyway so mm-hmm. like where's the complaint you know like and for someone like me like you know it's funny because i'm sort of on the cusp of wanting my all my fonts and stuff to be bigger on my my display right um that you know the the, the finer you know resolution we get the, the less it's less important it is to me right so um but yeah i don't know Interesting. yeah I, I personally don't care about a notch but i guess i can see the argument that if you have some kind of a background image or whatever, it's cutting out a piece of that or, or I don't know. That's, that seems like pretty, not very strong argument. Well, it does some sort of magic realigning of the menus when, when you go to full screen, for example, like I think, you know, it kind of, it does, I haven't really seen one of these devices. My I had one in my hand the other last week. I should open it up, played with it, but I didn't. Yeah. Apparently it does some sort of thing about moving, moving the menu around depending on, on what's, what's there. I mean, but like, you know, like, you know, like I look at the clock and I look at the icons in my menu bar and I might look at a menu thing at the top. I'm really not really focused. I mean, most of the time that's like where where my webcam is sitting anyway, right? Depending on what display I'm using, right? So not, not a big deal. Yeah, anyway, I think so more, for, yeah. for display type stuff, backgrounds, etc., we have to have a concept of um, safe area, very similar to what we've had since the iPhone 10 era on iOS. And I think something that did not help apple when it came to this is that look if you're if you're apple and you know people are going to throw rocks at you because you're apple quite frankly and people look for the next gate thing that they can come up with you really needed to make sure that the menu bar never ever was hidden by had stuff hidden behind the notch area and they did have that i don't know if it's still true but on day one that was true and you cannot have that because then it's like oh see look look how poorly thought out this thing was look my my mac doesn't work properly oh my gosh really are you serious you you have to take care of that on day one if only to make sure that you you know they're going to throw rocks at you anyways don't hand them rocks to throw at you so i mean let's let's look at that for a minute so i use an app called bartender and i started using it when i was doing videos for for ray one because we wanted to hide all the stuff that was in the menu bar i mean i currently have 20 active items in my menu bar and and i use bartender to hide half of them right um so i mean like you know of course if i if like i'm looking at my my display monitor right now and if i if i have all of them enabled then i'm pretty much going right across the center of the screen right but i mean 
it, and it's easily managed with software. I think like like it's not a big deal. I, I just you know like you're right. If you as a, as an app developer, you want to basically make sure you you adhere to Apple's recommendations and stay away from that center part of the screen. If that's if you're going to build you know for that, but you know we've got the notch on the we have a notch on the on the iPad now. We've a notch, well, it's not quite a notch because it's off on the side, but on the phones we've got notches, right? And and um, they changed the status bar so that you know they've 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 gone to single you know icons as opposed to words and like you know it doesn't say battery anymore it's just a battery icon right Mm -hmm. and uh and they shorten up the time and you know they they basically just get rid of all the stuff that we used to go across like i think we might have had the app name in the middle at one point i can't remember it's been so long since i have a i should i should fire up one of my other older devices and see what goes on but yeah i don't know it's just such a stupid little argument anyway (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think Tim, the the one I'm thinking of, somebody found the absolute corner case of without using bartender, right? So it's out of the box using like a bazillion uh, items up in the upper right hand side, and then also running an app that had an unreasonable number of categories for its uh, its menu bar. Um, I mean, I say unreasonable mean from I don't, I don't remember what app it was it maybe it's perfectly reasonable for the kind of app it is but just like maybe you could rethink your, your structure and not assume you have the full 4k width of uh, screen to to put more and more one click away kind of things um but you know again people people are going to complain it's apple so that's why i think they they needed to not drop the ball on day one by not, not having silly stuff like that happen you know True. Well, there's more stuff going on here with the, with this rumored MacBook Air uh, colors. For one thing, I guess. Well, that's a consumer product or prosumer a consumer product, not prosumer. But yeah. So I mean, colors. Yay. Whoop de do. Um, better display. Um, obviously, larger. I guess uh, because of the technologies. MagSafe coming back. Ports coming back to the uh, MagSafe, which reminds me of my very first. I don't know if you remember the very first uh, MacBook Air back in 2008. I think it came out. It had one USB port and a and a headphone jack. Right. If you want to talk about port. Um, yeah, so MagSafe is coming back. I don't know if they can do the goofy... Uh, did, they did the Ethernet on the on the new Mac, so the Ethernet's on the brick, right? The power brick? Is that not right? Sync? I think that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, and then, um, yeah, because it's got an extra heavy cable coming to the uh, for the MagSafe. Um, better processors, obviously. Um, hopefully moving to, like, a more... They're talking about M2, but we don't know what, what the next generation is going to be. It could be M Pro x or whatever right <laughs> um s m pro x right s with an s um or m1s maybe uh yeah and then pricing and stuff like that it's going to be you know thousand dollars roughly for if you're in the u.s the rest of us can just pound salt i guess but yeah so that's the macbook air interesting um yeah i have i have an m1 air i love it it's great i think my next my next mac's gonna be a pro something or other Alrighty, and then there was a couple of other things here. I don't know if you guys read, had a chance to look at these two articles here. This is more on the follow-up on the the battle of the App Store versus the world. Um, you know, by new film by Edgar Wright. Um, so these are a couple of bills that are in, I guess, before Congress. Is that where bills go in the U.S.? I got to remember that um, uh, Schoolhouse Rock. You know, I'm on a bill sitting on Capitol Hill. So it's, it's confusing, Tim, because uh, Congress. Right is the legislative the House of branch. Yeah. So yes, all legislation must go through the legislation legislative branch. There are two houses, so to speak, to make it parliamentary types. Uh, you know, analogy. There are two houses: one, the literal House of Representatives, and the Senate. 
are the two halves of the legislative branch or Congress. Oh, so Senate is Congress. No, no. Well, no. Every square is a rectangle. Not every rectangle is a square. Yes. Every senator is a congressperson, uh, but so are House of Representatives people are also congresspeople. Well, it's like we, we but, call them minister, members of parliament, whether they're like, doesn't matter what they're, well, like, I shouldn't say that. That's not true either. Because we do have senators here too. Anyway, you, so would, whoever, you, you would never call a senator congressman. You would only call a member of the House of Representatives congressman. Okay, gotcha. Yes, gotcha. Yeah, I guess that's true. They do get a little yeah. bit of that separation out there. Mm-hmm. So this is why these laws are being put out there, folks, for those of you who aren't in the United States, because obviously, like, it's just confusing. Anyway, so there are two, two uh, bills before uh, whatever you want to call them. Um, I, I wanted to say Congress, but I'm not going to say it. Um, the uh, one of them is, oh, when do I lost them now? Where do they go? Ugh. Oh, um, yeah, the Open App Markets Act and the American Invocation and Choice Online Act. The first one, I believe, will allow people to allow developers, or whatever, to side or people, I guess, and consumers to sideload apps, which you know Apple has been fighting against since Adam was a boy, or um, yeah, and. Uh, my nephew Adam was a boy when Apple started this fight, but the um, yeah so and so and 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 allow for third party payment systems, which is something that we've been talking about for the entire life of this show as well. And the second one uh, is more about um, Apple's ability to promote their own software ahead of other apps, right? Which is you know it's their house, right? Um, so anyway, so I don't know if you guys had a chance to sort of think about these or. Apparently, the article is saying that these are unlikely to come into law, but I thought it would be interesting to talk about them. Well, it, it, neither one would be good for. Well, actually, I should say the, the neither one would be good for Apple as a company. Uh, they might actually be good for developers in a funny way uh, because it would it would give the developers more freedoms to, to if you could sideload, then you could do what Android is able to do and sell apps outside of the app store, uh, which, which for a lot of people would potentially be useful or interesting. Uh, it, you know, the Apple's argument has always been that the app store lets them control quality and, and content of what, you know, what's, what's in the apps and keep inappropriate things out. And that's true. So it's hard to say on that one, whether it's, it's, from a developer point of view, you should be in favor of it or against it. The second one, yeah, there's kind of no advantage for developers of, of Apple being able to to promote their own apps over over third party apps. Uh, it's good for Apple, but it's really not necessarily good for for uh, developers. Is it good for customers? Maybe uh, because they can again assure the quality and and make sure that people have a, a positive experience. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I, should, I forgot to mention this article's by, by um, Mark Berman as well. Um, but further down the page, he talks about um, a couple of things. One is that uh, March 8th, I think, is the date that he sort of picked out of the air, which sounds somewhat reasonable. And that is that Apple will maybe announcing a new 5G SE on March 8th. I think we talked about it last time. I can't remember. It was rumored then we were hearing rumblings of March for an event related to uh yeah. a revamped SE. Um it, if he's got an exact date and Tuesday, March eighth seems 
perfectly reasonable. I don't see anything around mm-hmm. it that, uh, you know, it's, it's safely close away from um, St. Patrick's Day. So <laughs> I'm not <laughs> aware of anything yeah. else, you know, the, the Ides of March, it's, it's away from that too. So pretty good. Sounds like a good date. <laughs> yeah. It's it basically, it's, it's roughly two weeks from today. I mean, today's Wednesday, but uh, as, as we record, but yeah, so that would be two Tuesdays from today. So that's pretty coming up pretty quick. And I, and I guess with, now that you don't really have to, uh, you know, have fly people into, to, you know, the white box, you know, outside of that university that they went to one year to live watch, I think it was. Um, yeah, that's yeah, De Anza College, De Anza not a university. College, uh, yeah. But that, yeah, that white box is not, was not a permanent structure. That was, no, no, there no, for that one week, it's gone now. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, But anyway, so they, they don't have to fly, you know, Randy Ritchie's and and uh, those kind of guys into Puerto Rico, Fujiji, and all that kind of stuff. They don't have to fly them into California to see these things, right? They can do it virtually. And I think in the past, I I understand that they send these devices to their houses, and they're just you know they put a gag order on them and that kind of stuff too. So yeah, we'll see what uh, what comes out. That's coming up. So they'll probably announce if there's going to be something. It'll be announced in the next couple of days, I guess, right? And the next two articles are kind of related here. Um, I stumbled across these. Like I should have brought them up last time we were talking, but I, I forgot about them, actually. So I've added them into the notes this time. And one is uh, from Jess Squires uh, about non-optional core in core data, non-optional properties in core data uh, and Swift and how they sort of clash. And, and of course, that, you know, um, Tom Harrington has uh, written an article which inspired, or Jesse used as, a, as an example, um, called Clash of the Optionals. And he talks, he goes into the properties within, um, you know, when you're setting up your your uh, your date or time or, or string or whatever it is in core data, you can, there's a checkbox there you can, to mark it optional. And then when you go to use it as a, um, a managed, uh, NS Magic managed object property, then uh, it becomes, um, an optional when you use it, and it's and primarily it's because core data doesn't know anything about Swift and vice versa, right? So because they're both you know uh, coming from different points of view. Um, so Tom's article here argues about whether you can use it as an optional or or just change the code so it's not optional, and then what happens when you do that? Um, so it's quite an interesting uh, piece, and then uh, Jess has a, something as, about it as well. Mark, did you have a chance to look at these? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a, an issue that I've definitely run into. I think everyone who's done any amount of core data in in Swift has has seen this issue. Uh, whether it's a big problem or not, I I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's something that you know you just have to be aware of and, and work around. But the fundamental issue, uh, which which Tom does a really good job of describing in his in his article, is that since uh, since uh, core data is is really an older Objective C based technology. If you remember back in those days, everything was an optional, without whether you liked it or not, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So any any Objective C object could be set to nil, and it just really meant it was just a pointer to to zero, uh, and just it really was was not a thing. Uh, but but if you weren't careful, it could cause all, all sorts of issues, and in particular in the case of of core data. Uh, sometimes what would happen is if an object didn't have a property and you tried to save it to your database when it was expected to have a, a property, it, it could cause a lot of problems. So Core Data had this this uh, uh, property or or uh, parameter called optional. You could you could set 
optional on any core data entity when you set it up in your managed object model. And what it meant was that if if a property, if an entity had a property that was nil, uh, then you couldn't save it to your database when you saved your context if the optional property was unset. So so if the optional property was set, then yeah, you could you could set something to nil and then and then save it, uh, no problem. So and doing that would would either save you from having all sorts of crashes when when you tried to save your context. When Swift came along, it's a whole different thing, and it has this obviously a concept of of optionals that are inherent part of the language, and it's really something completely different than the core data optional. So the confusing thing is that when core data auto generates its code, its interfaces for your objects, it always uh, creates them any managed object as an optional, the Swift optional. Whether you've set that switch to that checkbox to optional or not to be a core data optional, and you can you're free to either not auto generate your objects uh, or or edit them edit the you know, the auto generated objects and you can change them to be non non swift optionals which makes your code a whole lot easier to deal with you don't have to be constantly unwrapping optionals and checking optionals and, and things like that but when you do that you have this problem that things that uh, swift doesn't know can be nil can sometimes be nil and right. it doesn't check for that it doesn't enforce that in the init method because you've marked it as as an NS managed uh, property, and it's a special case and can cause you problems if you're not careful. So both of these guys give some pretty good ways to avoid that and fix that and keep away from that. It's one of these things where yeah, it just is is what it is. It was you know it's an exception to the rule that that really is needed for backward compatibility, and it's just you got to work around it. And as long as you're careful, it's probably not an issue. So I always thought of I always thought of um, the um, optional that the property that you see or the optional flag that you see inside of core data as like the textbook or the de- dictionary definition of optional, right? Like it meant that it was a property that it didn't have to have a value, as opposed to like an right. optional in Swift, which is either null and it either has some value or doesn't, right? Um, it's an email. Well, that's right? that is true. That is true. Uh, but remember, with Objective C objects. The dictionary definition, as you said, can be applied to any kind of object, and, that, yeah, and that's course. what yeah, core yeah, data yeah. is, is referring to. Yeah. I don't know if people may not know this, but I remember in, in Objective C, you were constantly checking for nil. Like you're like, yeah. you know, if this is if you're you know the if not equals kind of thing was the sort of the the, the derogatory method to use, like when you were writing code, right? So whereas right. now we've got this nice little thing in Swift where you know you know the compiler yells at you if you forget to unwrap it or whatever, but I mean it's not. Like back then, you had to. You, if you were being defensive, you checked everything that you handled, right? Yeah, because yeah. Objective C would let you do whatever you wanted to, and yeah, if you screw up, well, that's on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They they assume you know, like Unix, they assume you know what you're doing, right? Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the next thing, which Jaime's got here is contactless payment. Okay. So yeah, um, it's kind of cool that apparently merchants and so this is us centric i don't know when it's coming to other countries but instead of having to do let's say like use like a square terminal or um i forget who the competitors are but like you know it's like oh cool 
I'm a vendor at a booth. Maybe I'm selling flowers. I don't know why it's always flowers. Maybe I'm selling, you know. Avocado toast, yeah. Avocado toast, avocado toast for your dog, that sort of thing. Something where you wouldn't have a normal point of sale system, right? So not thinking about restaurants, but thinking about smaller vendors, especially, you know, farmer's market type thing is what I think of in this mind. Like that's the most common way in which I run into like the little square card reader. Like, well, instead of having that, and given that people already have Apple Pay on their phone, apparently Apple's working with Stripe and uh, potentially some others to offer tap to pay through the phone for merchants. So you don't have to have a little dongle. Uh, or, or even or even a register, if you think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems kind of weird. I'm like, oh no, I want to pay my restaurant bill. Oh, go find the owner. Where is he? Oh, he's in the toilet. Wait till he comes out. <laughs> you could use that. <laughs> you can use his phone to pay. I think it's more for like, you're out and about small vendor who doesn't have a, a, a hard-lined register point of sale system. Um, but is really more like, oh, they, they want to accept payments the same way that we saw so many people using the square readers and like, well, you don't need a square reader. Your, your phone is the reader. So this is like so, NFC technology, right? Near field communication that we've been talking about for years with that. That's how we're doing Apple pay now with the phones, I presume, right? Cause those, those, like we have them in, in Canada, we've been using with interact for years, but, and all of our credit cards have chips in them now. Right. So that's, that's the idea. You, cause they, in the pictures they're showing here, somebody's tapping a, a credit card onto a phone. Um, and then, and so does that mean homeless people can now collect, collect uh, money on their phones? Um, which is one of the things well, I've been saying for years. That's not a bad idea. So I mean, this is, this is sort of interesting. It, it seems like it's a different technology from Apple pay cash, right? Where, right, where you yeah. can just send cash. That's more like a Venmo kind of thing. You can just send cash to anyone who, who has, you know, an Apple, Apple pay account, uh, but it does seem to imply that there's that it is using the hardware proximity to authenticate you in some sense. Uh, but I wonder if they if they do they even do they need that? I mean, what if they just put a a business wrapper around Apple Pay Cash? So you you could have sort of a storefront of some sort uh, and use the Apple Pay Cash technology to pay. But why do they need this? Why is this necessarily better? But I think that I think I think the um, yeah it says it's supporting iOS on ten on a 10s or later device. So all of those devices have have the NFC chips built into them now, like the watch does too. I think right because yeah. so I mean the the hardware is there. So I mean that's the thing. And and like we don't have this mythical Apple Cash and we don't have the mythical uh, credit card elsewhere in the world. This sounds like something that would be a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, you still don't have right? that. You're right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that might be worldwide might be a better and I, thing. And I guess there is there is some measure of security that you have to be physically within a couple of feet of the other phone in order for this to work. So it prevents it prevents some measure of fraud. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like, you know, from Apple's perspective, it's, you know, follow the money. They they, they get to get to be in, involved in the transaction as well, right? So there's there's probably a little bit of uh Office was it Office? What's the Office uh, movie where the guy scrapes a penny off of every transaction? Oh, Office um, Space. Well, office I mean, yeah, space, yeah. But <laughs> but my point was that Apple could do this with other technology uh, through, but you would require a network connection for that. Maybe this doesn't require a network connection, uh, or oh, it just true, requires yeah, yeah. a local local Bluetooth connection. Mm, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. So I guess there's some advantages. Yeah. Not, not a lot of detail here in terms of the mechanics of how it works, but the fact that it says, you know, Stripe will be the first payment platform to offer tap to pay on iPhone to their business customers, including mm-hmm. the Shopify point of sale app this spring. Additional payment platforms and apps will follow later this year. So this is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it's not all Apple under the covers. It sounds like it's extensible in some way in which Apple Pay so far has not really benefited from, right? Like you don't normally get to hook into Apple Pay like this. So Right, right. It, it draws an interesting line here. And I mean, Stripe is such a huge player in this and Shopify is such a huge player for the kinds of vendors who need this sort of thing, right? The not Amazon's kind of people, not Walmart's kind of people, but like, you know, mom and pop shops that do kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, th- this seems interesting. I definitely will, uh, especially given what I do professionally, like I would definitely watch any tech talks or WWDC videos related to this topic because this is interesting technology to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the next story is kind of, we've, we talked about Wordle, I think last time we were on the show together and we talked about it on the podcast, but um, and we talked about the, I think we were talking about the, the, the clones and the knockoffs. And of course we've had, we had the flappy bird, you know, knockoffs and all that kind of stuff. And, and so this is a story, I think I probably saw a tweet by Christina Warren about it. And that's why I found this article. Um, but it's talking about the 2048, which you, you may or may not have built at some point in your career, you know, learning when you're learning code. Um, cause that was a popular GitHub, um, project, right. That was out there. I mean, I, I think I, used it in a couple of classes that I was teaching at. It was on the curriculum already, but um and but the the truth behind twenty forty eight is is a is a ripoff of a game called Threes, which which I think was the original game, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. But um Yep, in the in the same way that Hydrox is the original cookie and Oreo is the shameless ripoff. Oh, really? Yeah. Nobody knows that. Everybody just assumes when they go to grandma's house, oh, she bought the the dollar store knockoff. No, no, no. Oreo is the shameless ripoff. Really? Okay. I didn't know that. Cool. Learn something new on this show every day. Amazing. More than just code. More than just code, folks. Oh, I'm clicking on the wrong... See, I'm now doing... You you cursed me now, I mean, clicking on the wrong tab. Um, anyway, so yeah, so, so the, the story is, is, uh, a young developer is like 19 years old, Gabriel Cirilli who made uh, 2048 at the time. He was just trying to learn coding and that kind of stuff. And so he, he basically built this little web app and, and uh, threw it up on GitHub and, you know, said, hey, check out my, my amazing JavaScript skills and that kind of stuff. And um, so what he'd done, he just like, you know, he liked the game and he just thought he would, he'd make this thing up. And, and um, it, so it did a couple of things. One is it became super popular and became viral and people started, you know, cloning it and, you know, forking it and, making their own versions of it and then you know it kind of uh kind of it's same, in the same way that the flappy got flappy bird guy had uh, anxiety over the negative reactions he was getting to flappy birds because people were saying this game is ruining my life and i'm playing it constantly and i can't stop and you know thankfully wordle's only one puzzle a day but you know like wordle has its own sort of um backlash from people who refuse to play it that kind of stuff or refuse to even acknowledge that it's, that's fun or not but to play but so he ended up getting a lot of lot of um, positive reaction from 2048, and then he's then the negative reaction started coming in, and people started complaining about like the fact that he ripped off threes and started that whole big uh, big anti anti you know anti anti this guy sort of 
you know, blaming him for, for stealing the idea and so on and so forth, right? Um, and, of course, we've seen that in, with many, many other things, like, you know, Tetris has been knocked off, and Boggle and Bejeweled has been knocked off, and, and now, you know, of course, now Wordle, and, and Wordle doesn't exist, and Wordle, since we last talked about it, it was, we know, I think we all know now, it's been bought by the New York Times, so it's free for, like, a month or something, and then it'll disappear behind the paywalls, but, um, yeah, it's sort of an interesting story, like, an interesting read on, on the sort of the history of, of this little, this little GitHub project that kind of went went bananas for this guy i was thinking of how to approach this because it is a complicated topic that i see a lot of things being thrown into the mix and things get conflated and i'm not saying just to be really clear before i go into my thoughts i'm not saying people who develop these games i'm talking the original developers should be happy that these situations occur um but i also don't fully support their views on things so let me take a little 30-second sort of side journey here to tell you about trade dress, at least as it generally tends to work in the U.S. Your, your kilometer edge may vary in your particular country. So I'm looking at a Justia article. Trade dress is the commercial look and feel of a product or service that identifies and distinguishes the source of the product or service. It includes the various elements, such as the design and shape of materials used to package a product or services. And there's more in there, but I think from from one standpoint, some of these clones definitely cross the line into you are, in my opinion, not a lawyer, not a judge. You are definitely crossing the line of like you have violated trade dress and you're making something unnecessarily confusing in terms of how similar it is. Like it looks like you slightly changed the shading and said, oh, look, my my game is different. Like, well... Uh, look, there's a huge difference between Sonic the Hedgehog and Super Mario Brothers, even though they are both, mechanically speaking, platforming games, right? They, they operate very simply, go from left to right and jump over article obstacles, try not to die. So the mechanics part is the part that I don't agree with some folks like, oh, like they should be able to like, you know, patent or otherwise copyright the mechanics. I'm like, eh, no, that's too restrictive for the world. But I do think they should definitely be able to control the trade dress of like, look, if you're going to make a, a Tetris knockoff, you cannot make it look like the original Tetris in terms of every pixel being darn near indistinguishable. It's like, you better do something different about it, right? The original looks like, uh, you know, a particular brick. It's like, yours better look like a different style of material or a different brick, right? It can still have similar shapes. It could still have other things, but it can't be like, uh, if I blink, I couldn't tell the difference between them, right? I think that's where things kind of cross in the line. So kind of wrapping it up, I think I both support and do not agree with some of the perspectives that indie developers have on this, even though I can empathize with the whole idea of spent a lot of time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears to get this out the door, and then somebody watches what happens and they just clone it and take all the credit or sometimes even send customer support my way and increase my costs. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I get it. I understand it. Yeah. It's funny. Well, it's, I kind of wonder like, so, so like, let, well, let's talk about Wordle for a sec because it was developed for free by this developer who, who created it for his partner to play. And then, you know, it came, became popular. I don't know how it, how it got out in the world. People, his friends started using it, I think, or playing it or whatever. And, and he never really wanted to make any money off it. And yet, you know, there already was an app on the App Store, by the way, called Wordle, which is not this app at all. 
Um, and and then there are a bunch of you know knockoffs on the app. So I think we I think our story was a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago that um, Apple was taking down um, clones of the of the app because they were like they were Wordle with an exclamation point or something like that or um, slightly close to the name uh, but not quite the same name. Um, but but same mechanics, same game mechanics, right? You know, five letter word and so on and so forth. And there's there's been all kinds of plays on the on the idea my favorite one is is uh shuttle where you have to you have to figure out a sha 256 you know um you can just imagine trying to figure that one out and and i think there's one that does math as well right and there's one that does obscene words i heard one there's one uh, one that uh, does um uh took as well um you know sort of uh languages that people are trying to preserve by playing these games so it, it's kind of I think from like you know Picasso sort of you know the history of art is is we copy each other and and we sort of you know extend the art you know to the next level kind of thing and that's sort of how you know painting and sculpture and that kind of stuff over the years has sort of has sort of um you know sort of evolved over time you know from one from one artist to the next so that's where Picasso got the term you know a great artist steal right and which Apple's, you know, repurposed for for their work as well, because Jobs quoted it. But so, I mean, it's kind of, it's in one sense, it's a complementary thing. Another thing is, is like, it's a good exercise, like in this case here for this developer to sort of figure out how to play this game. But it, it, it raises, it begs another question, like what happens when, say, for instance, I take the app and, and build my version of it and put it up on the app store and sell it for a buck or two, right? Now, all of a sudden, I've got like pizza money or whatever from this, from this app, right? Or if I put ads in it and then become and it goes viral and then, you know, like that's that's, you know, the the things. Like people have done like Flappy Birds, for example, people knocked off Flappy Birds and and you know, they were fart apps for a while as well. I remember Apple said it, you know, when when you joined the developer program, don't make any more fart apps, you know? You know, there there's been a lot of a lot of people copying other ideas. Um I don't think they're to be honest with you, I don't think from the point of view of wanting to learn how to program in general uh, it's a bad idea to copy some successful formula right um but it kind of it, it kind of it's a slippery slope like you said in terms of where where do you draw the line between being complimentary and and outright stealing right you know like you can't make a a, a soda pop that's dark brown and fizzy and, and put a red label on it with a big capital c you're going to get in trouble right but it but it happens all the time yeah, I think so. Going down the Coca Cola route, there's a distinctiveness to the bottle shape that Coca Cola has. Sure. Yeah. So I think competitors making a confusingly similar bottle shape, given that the bottle shape is not an integral part of the product itself, um, it's it's a branding exercise. It doesn't, you know, like change the flavor of the of the soda, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think that would be a trade dress violation and i do not support that however i also don't support the idea of coca-cola as an example having like well we we thought about putting you know fizzy water in glass bottles therefore we should have you know full control of the market like no that's unnecessarily holding back innovation i feel like that's maybe the appropriate level of analogy to how i how i think about these things yeah it's interesting i don't know well i mean you could go back to like you know like even the argument that Apple had about Google coming out with the Android phone, which looked a lot like the iPhone initially, right? And uh, and being upset about that. Um, yet they had they had appropriated multi-touch the multi-touch interface to make the the phone work. In fact, you know now that we know about Project Purple and and the 
the uh, innovation that went into that. Even even like the Safari browser was was a port of the Conqueror browser, right? So I mean, it's like it's not like there's been an actual you know um, spark of a of an idea. It's like the the magic of the iPhone wasn't the innovations that went in, the actual technology that went in. It was the combination. You know, it was Apple came up with the idea of putting like as Steve Jobs said it, an iPod, a browser. And an, was it an iPad, a music player, a web device, and uh, and a phone right? in in one thing, right? So you know, and, and I think we were all—I don't know about you guys, but you know, we were we were a little miffed when when uh, the you know the Samsungs and the and the Android phones started to appear on the market, right? Because they were they they looked like they had been clearly lifting what Apple had done. But then when you find out the true story behind Project Purple was it not everything that Apple put into that phone was an original idea, as we've said before, leading from behind kind of thing, right? You know, a lot of times Apple will take something and, and put some polish on it and design it nicely, right? So it's hard to say. I mean, you know, like I said, as as an artist, I've, you know, studied the history of art and, and how, you know, we go from, you know, the cave paintings in, in France to, you know, some piece of meat hanging on a wall in the gallery down the hall, down the road, you know? Like it, they're all they're all related. There's a big there's a there's a stream of of development over time, and and I think that you know I think generally speaking too that that computer programming you know what is it like when do we start computer programming? Well, I mean I'm going to talk about it in a little bit in my in my pick, but one of my picks I've got 27 picks today, folks. So strap in. But um, the uh, the the history of computing. I mean, we're like where we are modern computing. I think we we can go back to like uh, World War Two, right? And and the sort of the decoding or the breaking of the Enigma machine, right? As sort of being one of the first sort of practical purposes of 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 development to where we are today, where we're we're sitting down having a conversation on a microphone, recording on a computer, you know, and pushing it out into the internet. It's all like one big long life cycle but you know that like i said the history of art is like you know twenty thousand years old and whereas you know computing is less than 100 is that safe to say uh it's a little older than that if you go back to like babbage and the computing machine, oh, i was gonna say yeah that, if we yeah. go to babbage and and um yeah is it Lo- lovelace not lovely yes yeah 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 so yeah i mean so from that perspective i mean yeah i mean like well i mean you know the steam engine was was sort of the genesis behind babbage's difference engine right so yeah, but I mean, you know, what I'm saying, like, you know, like, it, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have got, you know, and if it wasn't for the transistor and, and you know, vacuum tubes, we wouldn't have got to the point where we have binary logic, well, we, I mean, they had binary logic before that, but we wouldn't have it so that we now, you know, can basically move ones and zeros around and, and decide whether a value is an optional or not, right? Anyway, so it's hard to, hard to say whether... Where, where do you, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the challenge, the challenge is where this becomes a problem. I think Jaime is when it's, when it's, when money's being made from it, right? Like when you're, when you're taking somebody, like you said, was it called, I forget, trade, what's the term? Trade, trade dress. Writer. Trade dress. Trade and dress, two, two separate words put together have a particular meaning in this case, a legal meaning. Yeah. Which basically means you're, you're taking somebody else's trademark and, and, you know, replicating it for the, to create an association for a consumer that doesn't know that this is a knockoff at Walmart as opposed to the legit thing that's being sold in your highfalutin store on the Champs-Élysées, right? Yeah. And it's not a, a, here, maybe I should take this link and, and throw it in the show notes because it's kind of interesting to read about. So it's not a cut and dry thing where 
they give examples here and I just lost it. Um, for example, the United States Supreme Court has found that a Mexican restaurant chain's decor was inherently distinctive because it future featured a mural, brightly colored pottery, distinctive outdoor umbrellas, neon border stripes, and a novel type of service. That one's interesting. I'm very curious on the case because that sounds like a ton of Mexican restaurants. However, (laughs) however, continuing the quote here, however, the quote cuffs and collar design mark that was used by exotic male dancers was found not to be inherently distinctive or reflective of Chippendales. Which blows my mind because that seems very distinctive. So again, not a lawyer, not a judge. Um, It's not cut and dry, but I do think that there is some balance to him. And certainly money changing hands muddies the water, I think. Yeah, well, definitely. I think, yeah, like the the world is full of, of, you know, third party, you know, knockoffs of things, you know, like it's funny, funny, as soon as you describe the, the Chippendale dancers, that's immediately what I thought of, even though, you know. Like you're right, it's it's a total association with that, right? But then we have things like Kleenex and, you know, aspirin and, you know, things that we talk about all the time that are, that are, um, you know, something that we think of, like the first thing we think of, even though we reach for in, in Canada, we have Scotty's, right? Which, but Scotty's, we, I still say, pass me a Kleenex, you know? (laughs) So I'm sure you guys have the same thing in the States, yeah? Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have Scotties. I think we have Scotties. Oh, we do. I think. Well, no, I meant, I meant brands. I meant brands. Like Kimberly Clark is a, is a paper manufacturer here in Canada that makes, you know, Scotties. I don't know. Who, I don't know who the, I forget who the publisher of, of Kleenex is, but that's an example, right? Yep. Yeah. We, have, Mark, we have Kimberly Clark and Scotties. At least in the Northeast, we did. Okay. So Scotties. Yeah. Not, I, th- I think I've seen Scots, but I thought, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong product. Clearly, Kleenex has polluted my mind and I can only think of their <laughs> brands. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But but it's an example of, of, you know, or the same thing with, like, you know, uh, Advil. Like, you know, if you go to the Shoppers Drug Mart here, you probably have their Walgreens, you can buy ibuprofen pills, right? They look like Advil. They're even the same color, you know, and they've got the same sort of coating on the outside, right? Um, You have Advil in the States, right? Yes, we do. Advil, Bayer, Tylenol, etc. are the main products I can think of for pain relief. Yeah. And and just the last bit of follow-up here, um, we were talking about uh, security updates that were out in, um, I think we had a PSA about uh, Monterey and iOS 15, I think, 15.3, I think was what we were talking about. 15.3.1. And I know this because my work apps would not let me in (laughs) to like Teams, Microsoft Teams, for example, until I updated. And I said, oh my gosh. That must have been serious for them to lock us out because they normally don't lock us out uh, for for upgrades like that. And so we were talking about like the it it was odd to us that you know Apple if it's a security update Apple normally rolls out um, uh, older OSs updates as well. And so anyway, so this this is a follow up to that story too because uh, there is a security update which you may know by now obviously that Big Sur eleven dot six dot four. And Catalina has a uh, 2022-02-002 update as well for security as well. I'm sure they're, I don't know if they're the same exploit, but uh, something that, that you should think about in- installing if you haven't already. Yeah, that was some pretty scary stuff that was in the iOS and macOS updates. It was casually visit the wrong web page and get owned. It wasn't a, oh, you have to download this thing, you know, bypass you know, gatekeeper. And it was like, no, you just casually going about your business. Accidentally went to the wrong place. Wow. I just, I just saw another article here from um, iMore. It says the aging iPhone six plus is finally considered a vintage product by Apple. Mm. (laughs) 
Not old, vintage. Vintage. Practically yes. nearly. Well, yeah, it's funny because Carol used to get upset when she saw vintage on eBay because vintage gen- used to mean used to mean back in the day, like a hundred years old at least, right? But uh, yeah, now anything anything old is vintage, right? <laughs> if your parents owned it, it was it's vintage. All right. So this article here is on Apple News for that uh, story about the upgrades. Cool. All right. Oh, I guess we're at the picks part of our show. We're gonna skip right to that. And uh, Mark, you're up first with your pick from last time. Yeah. So. I have a sneaking suspicion that I actually talked about this as a pick before, but you guys didn't remember it last time. We talked about it last time, so I will do it again. If you've heard this before out there, they just ignore this. Fast forward. Uh, so my pick is the Spark 40 practice amp, guitar amp, by a company called Positive Grid. And this is kind of an interesting thing. So it is a piece of hardware, the main amp. It's, a, it's an amplifier. You plug your guitar into it, and there's a bunch of knobs, and you can play. It's got you know 40 watts of power. It's a can, can great... you play without the iOS app? Is my question? yes, you can. Yes, okay, you can. Cool. Yeah, it acts just like a reg- a regular plain old amp. It's it's just kind of small. It's a practice amp. You know, you wouldn't want to use it for a real performance uh, because it's just not big enough. Although I guess at a small place you could. Uh, but what makes it interesting from point of view of this podcast and and the pick is the accompanying uh iphone or or ipad app and it's actually a pretty cool app because it has a whole bunch of features the the biggest one is that when you connect the app to your to your uh hardware using bluetooth you can use an enormous amount of 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 effect software effects and just change the sound of what's coming out of your amp that you have your guitar plugged physically into, you know, norm- normally you do that kind of thing with a bunch of stomp boxes or, or, or even a rack mounted effect where you plug in and there's a chain of, of different, uh, you know, uh, electronic effects like distortions or, or wah wah pedals or, or chorus or digital delays, whatever. And, and you can affect your sound that way. Uh, but it's always the guitar is just plugged into this thing and, and the signal is processed and, and returned back. Now, they do have electronic ones now that uh, it's all you know, digital signal processing. But the interesting thing about this is it's all through your app. And as I said, there's, there's an enormous amount of, uh, of effects available. I'm looking right now at the chain that you can set up. You can set up a chain of three pre-processing effects and then your amp and then three post-processing effects like delays and re- reverbs things like that and and just i mean just i don't even know how many there are but there's a huge number of options for each one you can choose between uh different styles of of of, of effect the the other interesting thing is that they have a whole cloud of of uh, setups that people have uploaded so they find some combination of effects that they like they upload it, and then you can download it and try it out and tweak it and upload it and use it however you want. Uh, also in the app, there's a, there's a few other cool features. One is you can, you can have it uh, play any YouTube video, and it will play out through the practice amp. You can play along with it. It's kind of cool. If you just an instant backing track, that's kind of a cool thing. It's got a... Can you slow it down, like if you're practicing and stuff like that? Uh, it doesn't have that i don't think although that would be a pretty useful thing but i don't think it has that no uh, maybe the next uh, next version 
but another another thing it does have that's that's actually quite cool is actually to be gone in this version. Hmm. Well, it used to have a thing where it would it would take that. Oh, maybe it's maybe it's still there. I just uh, I just don't see it. So it'll take that video and it will it will listen to it and it will extra- do its best to extract out what the chords are and show you in real time as as the, the music is playing what the what the chords are uh, if you want to play along with it. So that's kind of a cool thing. There's another feature where you can you can record a a, a riff of you playing and then play over it, solo over it. Uh, just all sorts of cool features, which is a pretty nice thing. So it's a cool amp. I'm going on for a long time here. It's a cool amp, cool piece of hardware, <laughs> but it's got some cool software and a cool app that goes along with it. So does it support bass guitar as well as It does guitar? also support bass guitar, yes. And acoustic or just electric? There is an acoustic mode. So if you have if you have an acoustic guitar through a, like a, 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 a what do they you call it? The sound, the sound whatever, hole. Right? Well, they have these sound hole pickups that you can kind of slide in and it sits in the hole. Uh, you can plug those in. It does have an option for that, but I find that that doesn't work all that well. It's much better for electric guitars. So can you do synth stuff with it? Like, like you can make your guitar sound like a synthesizer sort of idea? Probably. Keyboard? Yeah, probably. Saxophone? Yeah. Probably it could <laughs> if you had the right effect. Yeah, yeah. I, used to, I have a. I have a little practice guitar here somewhere that that does that kind of stuff as well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yep, neat. So that's my pick. I got a question there as a non-musician, and I know I could Google this, but I don't. I'm assuming it's going to be like trade dress, and there's like a fine line. <laughs> what is the difference between a riff and a lick? I've heard both terms. I'm aware of the music <laughs> terms. I do not understand. One's metric and one standard. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> 2.5 <laughs> licks for a riff kind of thing. So. Yeah, some some licks are riffs and some riffs are licks. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. it's the same, same they're thing. The, they're the same thing. Yeah. They're the same thing. One's American, one's Canadian. Um, <laughs> so I have a couple of things. One is I, I, follow, I follow this young guy. I found him on, uh, on the Twitter machine. Uh, his name is Richard. Um, I don't know his last name, but he was a 2021 scholarship winner at WWC. So he put up this little app here, which I I had you know uh, been uh, going to appointments. Let's put it that way. And uh, so this is a, a interview tracker called Log, and it's a good little attempt here. I think he's written it. Uh, I believe he's written it in Swift, um, Swift UI. But uh, nice little app if you're if you're if you're making appointments and you you want to record the questions that you were asked, that kind of stuff. You know, set your appointments up, create calendar event. It's a nice little app for uh, keeping track of your appointments that are coming up, and and you can, you know, mark them as completed or failed or whatever, and that kind of stuff. So it's a good little app there. Um, a young 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 developer created that, so shout out to him, and I'll have a link in the show notes for the app. The other one is uh, I gotta look at this one again. So I think I don't know. Did we talk about um, um, Steve Strout and Smith had published all of his uh, Catalyst apps on? He published his GitHub of all his Catalyst Catalyst apps that he'd written. I don't know if we talked about that one last time, but this one is a, uh, another one of these um, GitHub uh, lists where uh, somebody's put together uh, all of the open source uh, iOS apps that are out there um, from for various things. I think most of these are yeah. So if you're yeah Apple TV apps and and all sort of like just if you want to you know take a look at if, like if you, like if you want to clone an app for example. No, I'm kidding. 
but you know different uh, different apps for apps uh, Apple Watch, Apple TV, um, some Mac OS ones, some file examples, you know, um, clocks, timers, you know, terminals, um, home kit things, uh, audio apps, um, media apps in general, you know, that kind of stuff. Accelerator things, core data stuff, fire, Firebase things. You know, so if you're looking for some some ideas on how you how you could use things, you can check out these this list here of open source iOS apps from GitHub. This is from DK Hamzing, so that's his Twitter handle. That's kind of cool. Um, the other one that came up was this is a top. This is a hidden matrix. This is an interesting interesting article here that. Um, that it's a thread on Twitter, and it's uh, put together. It was nine to five. Asked, went out and asked people to put together or, sh- or share their their favorite Mac tricks with this thread. And so, if you follow the thread, there's all these really cool things that you didn't know you could do on your Mac. Um, you know, like in the font book uh, app or um, using different kind of tricks. So it, it just goes on and on. And I'm just going to go through the top ten. They put together this article of the top ten picks. Um, again, I can't remember off the top of my head what some of these really cool things were. Uh, like a big, I, I went through, went through the whole thread there one day. Um, you know, changing your folder icons if you want. That's that, that, do that. You know, hiding the current app. How to quickly do that? Show hidden files in in Finder. You know, the, the dot files that you see on your you make you, sorry the dot files you don't see on your Finder, but you can make them visible. Uh, some really cool uh, making making screenshots with from the um, for the touch bar. Um, things with emojis, uh, moving files, moving uh, folders. One of one of my I used to use a uh, utility uh, like back in the day. I remember sit at uh, C devs in Init's Mark back in the old early early days. I used to have this one called Desktop, and one of the cool things it had, like you know, if you're dragging a, a, a folder from one volume to another or a file from one volume to another, it copies it, right? Um, there's a way, there's a key command here that I, I keep forgetting what it is, but one of the, one of the tips here is how to move something from, how to move something like, like literally a, like, a um, a Unix move, you know, MV command where you can hold down, I think it's control key. And when you drag it over, instead of copying it over, it actually moves it over. So now it copies it over and then erases the, the, the source, right? Which is a proper move. Um, there's a ways to do, I don't know if you know, if you're using trackpads a lot, you, you know, you can, sort of do a quick double tap and whatever you've got under your finger will get stuck to the to the cursor and you can move it around that kind of stuff there's a way of doing that without having to do like what's called drag lock but without having to do the drag lock you can drag things around there's a key command for that as well um repositioning the spotlight search bar is one here so and basically these are sort of the top 10 um option key move files that's what i was thinking of but yeah, so check these out. These are uh, a link in the show. It's here for the top 10 Mac keyboard tricks that you didn't know you could do. And I'm going to throw over to Jaime there for a uh, a quick pick. Yeah, I've got the uh, Dev Toys for Mac. It's it's open source one as well. Although uh, if you don't feel like building it, you can just go download the release, which is just a zip file and you know you open it up. And it's got some cool tools that, um, you know, you could probably find some of these online, but it's got some nifty quality of life things for like converting JSON to YAML format, um, encoding uh, URLs and decoding them, JSON web tokens. And then I realized it's actually been updated for doing like PDF generator 
drop in some images and it'll generate a PDF. It'll convert images, convert GIFs. It can do XML stuff. It apparently also does audio converter, but I, I don't understand what it's doing exactly. Like, I guess maybe you, you have something in a different format and it will convert it to a different the other <laughs> format. The, the UI is a little inscrutable. It is dev tools, um, but it's, it's some stuff that I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of would like a UUID generator when I'm creating some example code. Like, hey, I, I don't want to have to think about what would a real UUID look like? They can create one and it's not going to match anything <laughs> like a real database. It's just bespoke and something I can use when I'm writing down documentation or something. Cool. Neat. Yeah. And uh, my last two picks here. So the first one is I was um, following the pragmatic programmers and they, they had a, a new a third edition of a book that came out, which, which I hadn't heard about before. But apparently the first edition is from 1984. The second edition is from 2000, I think. And the third edition just got updated uh, this year. Uh, it's called Fire in the Valley and basically covers the history of the personal computer. And, it's, of course, it starts with Ada Lovelace and Charles Babbage, as we were talking about before. But it goes through all the players that, you know, uh, were back in the day, you know, the the, you know, the... Moore, who came up with Moore's Law, it has, you know, stories about transistor, the development of transistors, the Enigma machine cracking, uh, you know, the um, initial homebrew club, uh, the Altair, uh, Xerox Park stories, you know, Douglas Engelbart about the, the, the invention of the mouse. It's got a, a, a screenshot of the first message sent by Ethernet from one computer to another. Um, yeah, as well as a bunch of other things, and it did. Of course, it talks about the um, the invention of the Mac and the Apple, sorry, the Apple One computer and the Mac, and you know, was and and uh, of course Hewlett Packard as well, developing Hewlett Packard in in their garage. Um, so a number of things are talking about that, and it's just been updated. Uh, it's now available as a PDF from Pragmatic Prog Programmers for twenty bucks. I actually got. A printed book. I got the second edition version. I bought it from Abe Books, which is a place where you can buy used books. Came out of uh, Goodwill in Texas and just arrived at my house last week. Um, so it's got some nice, some um, you know, photo plates in there, so you can see pictures of these people. And it's like a little short, you know, basically paragraph or, or like a you know, page or two about each one of these these developments. So it's sort of the you know, similar to. Um, Revolution in the Valley, which was uh, the one put together by, which is about the development of the Mac itself, uh, which started out as a blog post. But this is sort of the the whole idea of um, the whole story, the whole history of all the people, all the players, Microsoft, you know, Bill Gates, you know, um, what's his name, Gary, what's the name of that guy that that um, killed all? Is that his name, Mark, the guy who? Yeah, Galactic Digital Research. Yeah, him stuff about or him. Galactic, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he wrote the original disk operating system, right? Um, he wrote the thing that uh, that um, Gates took that Bill Gates stole. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's also speaking of stealing. There's also a letter to from Bill Gates to the Homebrew Club about not pirating his basic software. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So it was, it was a version of the CPM operating system for CPM, right. That's for the it. Yeah, PC. Yeah. And did he call it DOS? I don't remember if he called it DOS. I can't remember if he called it DOS. I don't yeah. Remember. Cause that, yeah. that's the thing. IBM came to, came to Gates and, and Paul Allen looking for, um, 
an operating system, right? And and they had BASIC at the time, but they didn't have a, a disk operating system, and that's how that that. Well, they went got. to they went to Kildall first, and yeah, and his wife said he wasn't interested, right? Yeah, because he was a you know he was a hippie, and there was IBM, so <laughs> he threw them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something. So like that. it's a famous story. Yep, yep. I've read this book. Uh, I read it probably 15 years ago. I think I probably have a copy of it around somewhere. So I mean, it certainly wasn't the 84 edition. I don't think. But it must have been that second edition. Yeah, it might be the yeah, same. It's got one an orange cover, like it looks. Yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, I'll have to dig that out. But yeah, it's a good book. It's, it's a good read. I mean, I, so so just ironically, yesterday was today is the twenty third of February, but yesterday was the twenty second of February. So it was it was two 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 zero two two um, zero. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the, the twos day, and uh, and it was a Tuesday. And uh, Pragmatic Programmers had a 22% off sale. <laughs> yeah. So I bought the PDF for $15 yesterday. So it's $20 for this. It's not a, not a bad, bad thing. If you, so if you want a PDF version of it, um, but if you, want, if you want a printed version, you know, this book I got sells for like, you know, some, some places are selling it for like $100 a copy, right? Really? I, I don't think it's in print anymore. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, like I said, I got it for fifteen dollars from from uh, Goodwill in Texas, but I had to pay like twenty bucks to have it shipped up here, right? So yeah, so it's it's a big thick book. It's not a not a thin book. It's pretty pretty big. But yeah. Anyway, just I, I recommend it if you're interested in in the history of what we do for a living. Um, check it out. It's pretty cool. And the last piece I got this literally just in hot off the press. Um, I stumbled across this just before uh, we started recording today, and this is uh, from jo- Joseph Heck. Uh, it's a book called Using Combine, and it's all about using Swift. And basically, this is a free version he's published online. Uh, it's a website. You can get a printed version of it, and if you want to, you can get a DRM copy from him if you want to buy it from Gumroad. But if you want to just read the book. You know, uh, you can you can just go to the website and and I'll have the link here in the show notes and check it out. But it, it covers the whole uh, reactive you know um, framework that Apple introduced two years ago at WWDC. Um, he's got a little project here you can download and try it out. But uh, declarative uh, Swift API, I should say, um, for you know it's their sort of version of an RX Swift kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, so it covers the whole. We've talked about combine a few times. I think a lot of people are still trying to get in, get into it. Um, but yeah, it talks about how to go ahead and create publishers and subscribers and pipelines and all that kind of cool stuff. And yeah, so it's, it's pretty much your free book online on combine. Did you guys have a chance to scan through this? I think I might have seen some version of this, like a very early version. Um, hmm, maybe right? Doesn't its history go back to when Swift UI first came out? Uh, yeah, this is version 212. Um, okay. So basically it's been updated as of December 21st. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's uh, a bit more up to date and everything. So it seems more comprehensive as, as Swift UI has increased. Sure. Yeah. But it sort of covers the whole, like it, some people are still starting, haven't started Swift UI yet and they're sort of still doing Swift, right? So I oh, even got a shout out here to, to Paul Hudson and, and, uh, Daniel Steinberg who are, you know, yeah, you can, amazing you can for thing. sure use combine without Swift UI. We use it a little yeah, bit yeah. in our UI yeah. kit based app. Yeah. Basically is if you're using uh notifications, the notification center, uh not NS notification, uh, or you know, KVO or observers or any of that kind of stuff, you can use this 
instead of that in a standard type of app. Sure. Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So definitely check it out if you're interested in combining. Hey, free book, right? Um, and it's, it's quite comprehensive. It's not uh, not a short little piece. Yeah. So they have on eBay. They have Fire in the Valley for eight bucks. Sorry, Tim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was. I forget where I was looking. I think I. Is it the original one or the or the um? um well, there's two versions. There's there's one. Well, they both have kind of an orange cover, but there's one yeah. that kind of it's a a yellow circle like a sun kind of yeah, that's almost. One I have yeah. yeah yeah that's seven sixty nine uh, pre owned. But then they have another one which looks like an older version for like fifteen bucks. Definitely looks mm. like an older version. That's all right. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that's cool. I had to put fire. In oh, the here it is. In oh, here quotes. it is. Yeah, I see. I see it here. Yeah, I found it. Thirteen ninety. Thirteen ninety eight Canadian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Twenty bucks to ship or eighteen dollars to ship. Hmm. Yeah, Paul Fry. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, this is the second edition. Oh. Paul Fragberger and Michael Swain. I think there's another story called Fire in the Valley, which I think is not what we were looking for. <laughs> yeah, I, there were a whole bunch of hits that were different things. I had to put Fire in the Valley in quotes to get it to weed out oh, yeah? the other one. Oh yeah, here's one seven fifty four. I think this is the one you're talking about, right? Oh, and then they do have the Pragmatic Programmer version for about forty um, bucks. Really on the, on eBay? Yep. Huh? Because yeah, that would be the third edition, I think. Right. Third edition. Yes. Cool. Oh yeah, the the one here. I see one here for forty four dollars, which is like it's got a, a Mac on the front cover. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's that's the original one, I think. Right. Looks like it. Yeah, that looks like the old version. Yeah. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, hi. If people want to get in touch with you, where will they find you? I'm on Twitter. It's at the dev of the hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at snapsoft.com. All right. Well, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Yeah. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I didn't think that you could get the uh, the pragmatic version in in print. I guess yep, you can. I see it right here. Yep. Yeah. No. I, I, went, I mean, on the Prague Prog website, right? Because hmm. the kind of thing you know. Maybe not in Canada. Yeah. Maybe not in Canada. Darn Canadian. Actually, these it's interesting. The prices are listed in euros on eBay, which mm-hmm. is weird. Uh, maybe they maybe it's coming from the UK or something. Right. Don't know. Well, there was a fifty percent off sale, which we've missed mm-hmm. on. The Fire in the Valley. Oh, from 2014. It's pretty old. Not a new book, right? So 2014, I guess, is when it was updated.
I should download it because I bought it. <laughs> yeah, I think I bought one of my first uh, Daniel Steinberg books on uh, back in 2010. I don't know. Do you guys use Mobi or, or EPUB? Uh, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I generally always get PDF. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I like EPUB because you can read it on on uh, other things. Yeah. On Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kindle, right? Yep. You can read PDFs too, but it doesn't. It doesn't support all the like chapters and and yeah. uh, you know, other stuff that you get. I um, had seen this story last night related to that Apple Store hostage situation in Amsterdam. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I saw, I guess, you know, I made the nightly news. It was insane how it ended where, you know, they, they used like the little police robot to give water. The hostage decided that was the time to bolt. The gunman chases the guy and a police-owned armored BMW hits the host the the hostage taker mm. just like runs him over like intentionally and they were able to capture him from that point because like you know so he, he he held one person hostage no it was um like four or five people something like that um but one of them decided to make a break for it after five some hours and the i guess the negotiators had allowed uh, gotten permission to send water for the hostages uh, using one of the little like bomb diffusing robots, right? right. If you've ever seen those, it's basically like a yeah, yeah, like yeah, a remote yeah. control car with a with like an a arm Mars rover kind of deal. Yeah, you go to the, with an arm on the front. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how the hostage got away enough, but I've seen the video where they're like running out of the store. The guy chases after him, and then this black BMW just clocks him, just full on, you know, face defender kind of stuff. Um, and they clearly had snipers ready to help take out the situation because there's like four green lasers pointed at his, you know, broken body on the floor, which is just like horrifying a situation all the way around. Isn't the guy, wasn't he asking for like a crazy amount of crypto coin or something? Like 227 that? million, which is like 10 Bitcoin or something, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he specified the currency, but he did say 227 million in crypto. But he wanted Apple to give them... Give him Bitcoin? I think he wanted authorities. I'm not sure he was really picky about who sent him the crypto. Um, so really, really scary situation there. I don't understand exactly what was going on there, but it was like, you don't normally hear, again, coming from a U.S. perspective, there's probably a whole bunch of different things. You don't normally hear the hostage taker was taken out, not by the SWAT team, but by like one of the patrolmen driving a car. Yeah. Weird. Crazy. Gonna see what they updated in this book. Um, oh, next they're talking about next year. Next would have been after eighty four. No, I guess yeah, eighty four. Yeah, because eighty four was the Mac, right? Next was like eighty eight or something. The browser wars. Remember those? <laughs> it feels weird to think that like browser wars occurred and IE six ended up winning out for such a long time, mm-hmm. and then there was the second browser wars, and then now it's essentially Chrome or Chromium. If you want to include edge in there that has won the day oh edge is built on chromium it is nowadays yeah yeah Uh so you know they've got the chromium open source basis of what makes chrome chrome is a good chunk but it's it's not everything right which is where you're able to build a whole browser and and microsoftify it have edge but still have the page rendering type capabilities that match all the quirks of what chrome would do Um, so Mozilla Firefox is still out there. Um, 
I guess it does okay. Um, kind of the weirdo one is Safari that through through Apple fiat, it is so powerful that everybody has to deal with it, right? Otherwise, I think if if Apple were ever to go the Chromium route, you would have a really hard time seeing, I think, Firefox exist in the market as being truly independent. And I can't remember if they're based on Chromium or if they're still using their own browser engine. Find it out. Um, Firefox runs in our quantum browser engine, so apparently they still have their own their own engine. Hmm. The fire of the fox. I tell the kiddos, like, I used to do web development when, you know, multi-platform meant using jQuery right. to, 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 to go between IE6 and Mozilla, not the fox, the dinosaur. Um, and blow people's minds like what it was crazy yeah there was no oh auto update auto update no you get like one update a year (laughs) of your software Mm -hmm. you're using ie4 (laughs) ie5 can you go see where i'm going with this (laughs) ie6 wow what even is my chrome at let me see where where do you even find that is it about chrome i'm on oh this is a fun one i am on Oh, sorry, wait, it's checking for updates. I'm on the latest, which is version 98.0.4758.102. It's like a dang star date now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Star Trek star date. It's not even a reasonable number anymore. Nice. Have you read The Pragmatic Programmer, Mark? The actual book, The Pragmatic Programmer? Yeah. I have a copy of it. I haven't actually read it, though. Okay. Have you, Tommy? No? I've certainly seen the cover. I'm looking to see the people the contents i don't think i've actually ever read this i've heard from folks online that it still holds up pretty well yes there is and like oh here's the latest and greatest like source control it's like oh was that really new then it's not now but um other things around you know it it it's still to my feeling it's still early days for software development to grow into software engineering someday. We're, we're still building a lot of bridges that fall down for what appear to be mysterious reasons <laughs> that right. 200 years from now, they probably won't fall down anymore mm. as I stretch this analogy. Right. I mean, there's an audiobook version of it. Maybe I'll grab it from the library. Ooh, I wonder how long that is. What, the audiobook? Yeah, because like, when you go through um, like fiction or something non-fiction like a biography i, like, I kind of get the pace i'm like oh okay it'll be you know 20-ish hours sometimes as long as 30 but i don't know the pace that they go through like a technical type book i don't think i've ever done any audiobooks or technical books hmm. the pragmatic programmer is an audiobook but it doesn't seem to be at my library it's on a, it's on audible apparently pragmatic paranoia designed by contract dead programs tell no lies don't outrun your headlights. These are interesting um, section titles. Oh, in the in the. Um, I'm looking at uh, the pragmatic bookshelf or yeah. the pragmatic programmer. And um, oh wait, I'm sorry, I have this confused with a different book. Is this 2019 that it was published, or is this the oh the 20th anniversary edition? Okay, there we go, there we go. Sorry, I got confused by what I was looking at. Oh, 20th anniversary, yeah. Yeah, 20th anniversary edition probably was published in 2019, but that's not the original edition. Preface to the second edition. Dry. Don't repeat yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's also the Yagni, the you aren't going to need it. You ain't going to need it, yeah. Yagni. (laughs) Okay, so like one of the last sections has pragmatic projects, and one of the subtitles or subsections is coconuts don't cut it. 
Yeah, coconuts don't cut it yet. Pride and Prejudice. Test to code. There probably are some classics here, like the Mythical Man Month that, although terribly out of date culturally, is still pretty relevant in terms of the same basic problems around yeah. managing yeah. software products. Reading, reading the book itself actually isn't all that useful, but if you can read like a, a modern summary of it, that's very useful. Because mm. the book itself ta- spends a lot of time talking about you know programming mainframes with teams of you know, teams of thirty people, where there's the one programmer and the other twenty nine people are support staff for the programmer. <laughs> yeah, really? how times have changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. You mean Tim? You don't have a secretary to keep track of all your Jira tickets? No, no, <laughs> huh? I don't either. I have had assistance in my in the past since you've been doing software, though. Probably not. Yeah, initially yeah. for a while. You know, when I first yeah. started the business, I had a, an assistant. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I've never even had an office like a private office. Really? Yeah, oh. like a. Oh, really? You know, Microsoft is the last one I can think of that. Had, well, I guess Fog Creek Software, but um, I never saw their offices. I'm like, oh, private offices. Nope. I joined in the cubicle era, which. Oh right, yeah. You know, very quickly, relatively yeah. speaking, went into the open plan kind of thing. Yeah. I started in the cubicle era too, but managed to get an office at one point and then went back to cubicles. And then and then it all moved into the yeah, the open open offices. Which yeah. you know which hopefully hopefully uh COVID put an end to that open offices because it was I, I was never a fan. Couldn't really get work done. In the open office? Much, yeah, I hate it. Yeah. That's why everybody had health <clears throat> headphones, right? Yeah. Drown yep. out the noise. Like, well, <laughs> what if I had a wall that drowned out the noise? Yeah. 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 Working from home is is probably the best out of all of the various iterations I've had. Yep. Yeah. True. Yep. Yeah, I prefer it myself. Yeah, I went from I went I mean I had um I had a whole department at one point and then I had uh yeah, then I just had a desk and a you know big office, sales office, and then I had um, when I came back to Toronto, I had I was like general manager, so I had my own office, and and then when we switched over to IT. Then I had my own my own office with computers in it, <laughs> and then yeah, then then I went into software development, and yeah, that's when I I stopped having my own office. But then I worked from home, and you know, kind of took over the part of the house for that. 